listening to another powerful message from C3 Southwest Washington. We are so excited you're here with us, and we believe God has more in store for you. Hey, while you're, while you're standing, uh, Jen, great, great, great message. That was, all, that was super. That was awesome. Uh, just, just I, that, that's a great message. That's the heart of God for us. I love that when we use... Uh, everyday life analogies to be able to dial into a truth like that. Our giving messages aren't about trying to get you to give, believe it or not. Um, they really are about the process of helping you understand the generosity of God and his working in your life and so that you can step into that economy and experience the good things that God has for your life. Amen. So appreciate that message uh, tremendously. And plus, where is Josh? If somebody could go get like a big bag of ice, let's pay him back on behalf of all the children unexpectedly. Hopefully he doesn't hear this. Uh, I did want to say also thank you to Corey and Jenny, uh, who are our magnificent leaders of our team that are going to Oaxaca. I know we prayed over you guys, but thank you um, for, for leading the team down there. I know you're taking time out of your, your, you're going with family, but taking time out of your summer and summer's precious, but thank you for leading the team down there and your partnership, not only with uh, Victor and Letty and Trigo, but also with our church to keep that thing together uh, and to continue on the, the years of building down there. When we first went down there, it wasn't Pastor Victor. They didn't have a church at that point. And we've been a part of that process to watch all these things grow and become something magnificent. They're building a, they built a school there. I mean, the, the building that's been built there here this last year is second to none. I hope that team comes and builds a, something for us. You know, it's just amazing what's been done. So we're thankful for that uh, opportunity that we all has a, have as a church family to be able to do that. Uh, one little thing as we step into today's word, um, I was praying about this this morning, and I, I don't want to get to the end of the message and then have you shift with the message. I want to help you to shift at the beginning of the message. I want to get you to shift with me because the, this is very valuable information over the next two weeks as we talk about following Jesus, about being a disciple. We're going to talk about sin, but what I don't want this to be a negative wah, wah message, and it's not. Um, but it could be that you don't have clarity on sin. Maybe you don't have clarity on your own sin. And may, in fact, we were talking about this in our, our group huddle with the team before we uh, you all arrived today. Uh, we we're talking about the idea of what happens, wh wh what's your initial reaction to when you sin? And somebody mentioned they have a tendency to turn down, you know, their, their conscience a little bit, you know, to, to try to blot it out. And the idea was that when you turn down that knob to the voice of the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin, as bad as that is, the problem is that that knob is down for everything else he's going to say. And, and Joe was mentioning, you end up wandering around throughout the day with no clarity. It's like you've turned on the GPS for your day, but there's no voice coming out. You don't know where to go. And it's because you've literally turned down the knob. So it could be that um, if you have not had a conversation with the Lord, maybe in the last hour, but in reality, in the last couple of days about sin, your sin, it's likely that the, the volume levels way down. Um, in a healthy way, not in a negative way, you should be aware of your sin. And that's not just a sinful action, 
but it's sinful attitudes and motives and the way we come across. All of even our righteousness, the Bible says, is tainted with an element of sin. And to be aware of that is a good thing, not as a condemnation, but just an awareness. So if you rarely feel convicted about sin, I wanna invite you as we pray to turn up the volume. If you haven't heard from God about your sin in a while, and actually maybe there's sin in your life and you know that it's there, but you have turned down the volume intentionally and shelved it. I wanna challenge you to turn the volume back up because what you've done is you've tilted your sail in a direction in life that is going to carry you to destinations that you don't want to arrive at that have nothing to do with your sin. But when you turn that off and you tip your, your, your sail into sin, there are a whole lot of other destinations that come into play that you did not bank on and you don't want to be involved with. And so I want to challenge you this morning, if that's you, I'm not going to have, uh, raise your, no, don't raise your hand. Don't tell the person next to you. Just before you and God, I want to challenge you to, to repent, to say, Lord, I turned the volume down. I'm turning it back up. That's what repentance is. It's not saying I'm sorry. Repentance is not, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. Repentance is, God, I've sinned. I'm going to turn and do the right thing. That's what repentance is. It's a change of direction. And so I want to challenge you to turn the knob back up so that over the next couple of weeks, you can have a, a, a more healthy perspective of the sin that is certainly in your life that we all deal with. The only person that's not had to deal with that is Jesus. Perfection. Everyone else, our righteousness is tainted. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for your heart for us. I think that you are, I think as we sang this, you are for us. And because you're for us, you came to deal with our sin. Lord, I pray that you will help us to have a healthy perspective of our sin, of the sin of others, as we look at the topic over the next couple of weeks. And as disciples, this is, is so important. We need to do something with our sin, allow certain things to, to work through and uh, allow the process of being perfected to take place without running in the opposite direction and hiding and turning down the knob. So right now, I make, the, I make the conscious decision, Lord, to turn up the knob of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who, Holy Spirit, you reveal truth. You're the one who makes me aware of my sin. It's not just my conscience. It's you speaking the word of God, speaking truth to my very core of my being. Father, we pray that you will give us uh, this help today. And as we turn that knob back up, you will be able to hear you lead us in your paths for your good things ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. Give the Lord a big hand. High five the person next to you. Grab your Bible, grab your seat, and we're just gonna plow into this, this information. Uh, we're talking about discipleship and the definition for being a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. And the scripture I have for you today on this topic of, of, of being, uh, being having clarity about our sin and the sin of others is the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter uh, uh, number 18 about two men who were praying in the synagogue. And I think it's fascinating. We have an account of two guys in the same place in the same time doing the same spiritual activity, and yet one has a, a specific view of his sin in his life, and another one who has sin in his life and has no clarity of the sin that resides within him. And the two of them pray, and one humbles himself before God and, and really pours his heart out before God and, and, and asks God mercy and for God's touch in his life, while the one who feels like, um, you know, I do more good than bad, and 
I'm not like him, and thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him, and really builds himself up in the presence of God. And yet that very action pollutes the whole practice of prayer. It's amazing. You'd be doing a righteous thing, and it becomes sinful because of your motive. So often, and I want you to get away from this, so often we see sin as a wrong act. And while that might be true, you can do a right thing with wrong motives or a wrong attitude or wrong posture, and it'd be even more disgusting than if you hadn't done it at all. I'm going to get a lot of amens, I can tell. We're well on our way. Amen? Amen. Come on, get excited. Amen? Amen? This should be really practical. How many of you have ever sinned? Some of you are lying right now with your hands down by your side. You have sinned. Look at the person next to you and say, I know you're a sinner, or you have sinned. Don't call them a sinner. Because if they're a disciple, yeah, they sinned, but they've had it dealt with. Um, in the, in the, uh, the process here, um, I won't spend a lot of time on that particular verse, but these are two men that one of them doesn't have clarity on sin. And he appears to be the more righteous. He appears to be the more godly. He appears to be you know, probably an upstanding citizen in the church of yesterday, and yet he's got no clarity on his own sin. He's like a bull running through a china shop thinking he's at the track and he's plowing things over in his own life and has no clue what's actually going on. And my prayer is that's not you. That's not what a disciple is. A disciple has clarity of their sin. A disciple can see sin for what it is. They have a healthy view of sin. They see what can be done with it, how it can be dealt with. They see clearly the sin of the past in a right way, and they see the future in a proper perspective. They see the sin of others with clarity, and they understand that it's not a competition. It's not a comparison. There are things seen, and there are things not seen, and having a proper perspective on sin allows us to be excellent disciples. Now, throughout this series, we've been talking about four different types of people in the crowd that were with Jesus. We had the first category has been the people that I refer to as the never Jesus people. These are people that Jesus came into contact with, went to the big meetings out by the Sea of Galilee, stood in the crowd, but they had other things going on in their life that was their Jesus, and they literally, the attitude of their heart was, I don't want you, Jesus. I've got what I want. Never Jesus. And they were still in the crowd, and they were still in relationship with Jesus, and Jesus dealt with them properly, and maybe that's you, and I want you to know if that's you, you're welcome here. And because I just, I just, I'm so confident of who Jesus is over time, you're going to be drawn out of that place into a place closer to him, and you're going to begin to experience him, you're going to believe in him, you're going to surrender your life to him, you're going to realize that, wow, I've been a fool. I've, I got that text message at three o'clock in the morning from Japan, somebody in Japan one time saying, I've been such an idiot, you were right. And one of the few times you get to hear that, you were right. Um, <laughs> God is real. He is working in my life. And I remember being so excited about what God was doing in that person's life because they started off in my relationship with them as a never Jesus. This is a bunch of junk. I'm only here to support my wife. And so that is a crowd of people that's very real, real yesterday in Jesus' time, real today. A little bit closer to Jesus, we have what the Bible refers to as unbelievers. They just don't believe that Jesus is uh, worthy of following. They're not saying he doesn't exist, but they're kind of undecided. They haven't made a decision for him, haven't necessarily made a decision not for him, 
because they're in the crowd as well. They're, sometimes they're bringing their family to be healed by him because it's remarkable. And yet at the same time, they're just undecided. They've not made a decision. And so that's a group of people. If that's you, you're here today, we welcome you. And uh, we have that same confidence for the never Jesus people and the unbelievers that you'll be drawn closer. Now, this seems like this category of people is closer, but I want you to know this is the most dangerous crowd of all. These people don't make me nervous at all. Neither do these, but these people scare the daylights out of me because they really like them some Jesus. They like to add some Jesus to their life. They like that Jesus heals. They like how Jesus makes them feel. They like the benefits of when he multiplies things, but they haven't made a decision to follow him. They're just really, really, really close and really, really close is one of the most dangerous places to be because sometimes you think you're actually in when you are not, even though it's just a matter of a very thin veil of proximity. These people add Jesus to their life. They hang around with Jesus' people. They go to more of the meetings. They're probably in churches today. If this is you, you probably have no clue. But that's part of talking about discipleship to help you to understand that it's not about believing in God. It's not about liking in God. It's the decision to follow. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was not trying to convince anybody to believe in him. He said, come and follow me. And following equals discipleship. It equals a total transformation of who you are as a person. It allows you to participate in a brand new kingdom. You step across from here to here. It might seem like a thin line you've stepped over, but it's a different world. It's not of this world, it's the kingdom of heaven. You begin to know God intimately. You actually are sparked to life. You become born again. You are aware of the Holy Spirit who now lives within you. You see the world with clarity because you have the GPS of the Holy Spirit who reveals truth, directing your paths and showing you things that you used to believe that are wrong and warning you about things that are pitfalls, someone comes and approaches your life and they say, hey, I'm gonna help you. And you hear the Holy Spirit whispering, danger. <laughs> They're not here to help you. They're here to rob from you. And like, well, where did that come from? It came from the economy of God's kingdom. There are new things available to you as you walk in this kingdom, right? So I wanna talk to you at first about how each of these four different groups of people view sin, because that's important for you to understand. And if you're, you're, you're hearing some of this and some of this over here resonates with you, I wanna challenge you to, it's maybe time to say, Holy Spirit, change my perspective. I've bought into to some misunderstandings of sin. And it could be that you're a disciple, but you've brought along some of the dysfunction from over here about sin. Because the enemy, if, if he loses the battle of you stepping across the line, what he will still do is whisper some of the old lies across the line and actually try to cripple you in your discipleship because of your view of sin. There's probably, like, like me, two weeks into being a Christian. I remember clear as day, I sinned. I didn't kill anybody. There's no cannibalism, nothing like that. Just checking if you're awake, okay? That was part of our discussion in the huddle earlier. Anyways, okay, I'll entertain myself from here on out. Um, I don't know what your sin is. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Anyway, so um, where was I going with that? Oh, if... if oh, two weeks out. Yeah, it wasn't cannibalism. Okay, so <laughs> now that we've got that clear, I'm sure you're wondering what it was. But it was actually something very minor. But I actually 
When I stepped across this line and I experienced forgiveness, it was like the lifting off of like backpacks of rocks. The weight was gone. I knew clearly, without even hearing a message, God revealed to me, you are forgiven. And knowing my back, I was like, really? It's like, it's like a life sentence. I've just been set free from prison. I'm no longer, I'm not even just set free. My record's clear. In fact, it's like I never did it. It's gone. It's paid for. And I actually had within me the expectation of, I am never going to sin again. I'm walking on air. It's just floating like angels, looking at old temptations and be like, ah, not today, Satan, not today. And it's just skating through. And about two weeks later, I sinned. And it was so humiliating. And God didn't do this to me, but I use this analogy, and this is just entertaining myself. So I don't know if you've ever inappropriately tried to train a dog where, because dogs don't want to think like people. You taking your dog after he urinates on your carpet and shoving his nose in it, he does not know. I mean, dogs clean themselves. <laughs> it's not the same thing as in human nature to have his face buried in his own urine on your carpet. And yet, I felt like that's what God was doing to me. Like, I've sinned. It's so disgusting. I had no plans to do this. And, and I was thinking that this is what God was doing to me, pointing out how, how could you do this when you're now a Christian? What kind of Christian are you? I mean, didn't Jesus' work in your life work? I mean, the cross, yeah, it's got a lot of power now. Yeah, I thought you were never going to sin again. And I remember it just drilling me down. I felt like that dog with my nose being rubbed in it. And I look back and it wasn't the hand of God at all. It was the enemy whispering in my ear and clouding my vision of the biblical clarity I needed to deal with my sin. Because there's been many times that I've sinned since that day. And it's debilitating. It will wreck your discipleship if you don't have clarity on sin, if you allow the enemy to work shame in your life like that, you'll be weeks, and it was weeks. I couldn't go into church. I couldn't raise, how could I raise my hands? How could, I, how could I sing out loud? What kind of Christian would sin and then come into the house of God and raise his hands? You wanna know what kind of Christian would? A Christian who sinned. In fact, that would be the first thing that I do now when I sin, oh God, I gotta worship you. Well, that's hypocritical. No, that's part of the remedy. Going to God with my sin. The worst thing that Adam did after he sinned was to run away and hide. What I was doing really was running away from God and hiding him. Hands in my pockets during church. Hope that's not why you had your hands in your pockets today. Got eyes in the back of my head. Actually, it's people with microphones whispering in my ear. I got up early this morning. I've had about seven cups of coffee, so this should be really good. Okay, so... Um, I want you to have clarity, okay? Because a healthy view of sin equals healthy discipleship. A healthy view of your sin will also help you to have a healthier view when other people sin. People in leadership, people in high places, people who are deceived, people who are actually influenced by demons, okay? And, and your own family members when they mess up. It'll help you to see it more clearly um, uh, properly with clarity, and you'll be able to navigate much better. Because if you're not careful, a lack of clarity on sin will, will actually cripple you 
When someone in your life that you love and you respect does something sinful, especially if they're a Christian, it'll take your legs out from underneath you and you'll feel like, but I believed in them. Yeah, and they're a human being and they're sinful. I mean, I love to, you know, David, man after God's own heart. If you read the fine print of the man's story, there's some rough stuff in there. Not to mention the fact that he's got multiple wives. Forget the David and Bathsheba thing. Multiple wives. That's just stupidity. It, are you here? Are you hear me? Are you here today? Slap the person next to you as hard as you can and then say, I repent, okay? Um, we want to give them an opportunity to use this message to work through sin, all right? Okay, so let's talk about this, this side over here, the never Jesus people's view of sin, which they'll probably put up behind me. But these people... They determine what sin is. I mean, ask that question at school, some of you students, what is sin? And, oh man, you know, it's hard. There really is no such thing called sin. It's I decide what is right and wrong. And, and the problem with that, just, you know, living in with two people together is if what I say is right is different than what you say is right, maybe I say hitting you is right for me. Well, what if that's not right for you to get hit? Right? So there's a problem, but these people define sin according to their, their, their own personal, uh, person, uh, personal perspective, usually what uh, helps them, what promotes them. In fact, wrong becomes right as long as it moves them forward. And this will always be for them an ever-changing scale of things because what was right for me today is gonna evolve into what is right tomorrow, and then I'll need a new right thing the next day. So there is no fixed morality. In fact, uh, uh, these people, and this is not a political discussion, however, you're going to find that politics mirrors people's positions because uh, really when you're talking about the governance of a people, you're talking about law. I mean, when we come together as a society, politics are all about enforcing a, a, a construct in which we can live together in a way that makes sense and it puts values on things, things that are right, things that are wrong. That's what the law is all about. Politics are about creating those laws, enforcing those laws. And so this will align very much politically, although there's some blend in between the spaces. So just disclaimer out there for that. Um, these people will typically demand that first you tolerate what they are doing, then that you accept what they're doing, and they demand at the end that you celebrate everything that they do. In fact, not to celebrate is a sin. Not to champion what I champion makes you wrong, all right? Um, they are blind to their own moral con contradictions, though. There are things that they demand that empower them that they then restrict from other people in different categories that are mirror images, and they can't see the contradiction. Some of us watched this uh, a couple years back during COVID where it was okay to, you know, to, to gather in mass groups and to do all sorts of things, and churches were not allowed to gather. Well, some churches listened, some churches didn't, um, but gathering as believers was wrong, morally wrong. You are putting people at risk, and yet the championing of gathering for a cause is right, and we watched that happen. That's because this is, an, this is a morality based on whatever I say in the moment for today, and it is always changing. It's heavily influenced. I want to warn you, this section over here, it doesn't scare me like this one, but it is heavily influenced by the demonic. 
When you look in scripture, lying spirits that go out, God working his plan, but the enemy distorting things, and people saying things that are clearly wrong. What I am doing is clearly hurting people, and I champion it as righteousness, and you think to yourself, how could that person say that? It's because they're in full-blown deception. And that's beyond just a, a knowledge base. There are things working behind the scenes that are pure evil that they are, they are likely unaware of, but as their, their sail has been tipped strongly against God, the wind that carries them is a foul wind, if you know what I'm saying. Um, Romans really deals with this topic and talks about how reprobate they can become. In that chapter there, I just read a couple of the highlights. It says, these people begin to think up foolish ideas of what God is like. Their minds become dark and confused. It doesn't mean they're not smart. It doesn't mean they haven't gone to college. It doesn't mean they don't have degrees. It doesn't mean they're not incredible in whatever they built with their hands, but their minds spiritually become dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, instead, the Bible says they become utter fools. God abandons them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. It's amazing. It's like God is still in the crowd, but he's, he allows them to wander off and do insane things. They've made up their mind, and he's turned them over to those desires. It goes on to say, as a result, they do vile things, degrading things with each other's bodies. Read the whole section there. It goes on to say, God abandoned them to their shameful desires. He hasn't abandoned them completely, but he's abandoned them to their shameful desires. Okay, that's what you want? Go for it. And these, these actions of sin, these desires, ultimately at the end of the day, drill a hole in their boat and sink them deep in the sea. And God is always drawing, trying to pull them out of that situation. But man, sometimes we, we've been stubborn in the past, right? It goes on to say, one of the last lines that really strikes me, worse yet, they encourage others to do the same things too. They're looking for an army to invite, to validate they're wrong. Ah, it's crazy. Um, they are actually at war with the God of the Bible. This crowd would actually say that, oh, I, I, we believe in Jesus. We're not saying he's not real. We're just against him. That's our stance. We are against, in fact, we don't need to wage war against any other God, any other religion. We're waging war against the God of Scripture. You ever notice that, that the one one slur, the one cuss word that's allowed on TV, and I hear it over and over. It's never, son of Allah. It's never that. It's always Jesus Christ. Over and over and over. Why is that? Why, why has that been allowed to happen? In fact, it's publicly accepted. I mean, you, you would never, I mean, some words are not allowed, but using Jesus, specifically Jesus' name in vain. Do you think that's just, Humanity, or do you think that there's something deeper at work in all of that? The enemy's snickering every time someone uses Jesus' name in vain. The very answer to the problem the person's going through is uttered as a curse. The greatest blessing of a name known to man used as a curse. Wow. There's something afoot. There's something afoul at play in that world. And you have to recognize that. They are at war with the God of the Bible. Now, let's talk about how unbelievers view sin. This crowd, a little bit different, a little bit closer, still in the crowd. But their sin is determined by whatever is culturally deemed acceptable. 
and personally profitable. It's a little bit of a mix of that, but it's closer. They kind of abide more by what culture says is okay. Whatever their crowd around them, their family around them, the people in their world, whatever they say is, is okay. And you grow up in that environment and it just becomes part of your culture. And whether it's a, it, you, you've been raised in a gang setting or you've been raised in a cult setting or you've been raised in a humanistic setting, that becomes kind of your moral ethos. And so it's whatever culture dictates. And then what you see is profitable for yourself. And you can, in this moment, recognize some things are wrong, but justify those things are, that are wrong, participating in them because of the difficulty or what you've been, you've missed out on. Like, it becomes, okay, sin, uh, stealing is still wrong for these people, but it's okay to steal from somebody who has more than you because they really don't deserve that. They shouldn't have all that stuff. They're self-centered and greedy, and they will never miss it. I take a little bit of this. This is the person at work who looks at the company as an inanimate organization and doesn't pay me enough, so I'm gonna steal all the toilet paper out of the bathroom and feel justified that I've done it because they didn't pay me enough. I should have got a raise. And so there's that, that, I know this is wrong, but in my circumstances, it's okay. I remember listening to Tiger Woods talk about all the affairs that he had, and he said, in my mind, I justified them because I'm like bigger than life and I have all these pressures and, and these things I deserve because of all that I've had to sacrifice to arrive at this position. It's like listening to the rock stars of the 70s and 80s who backstage, there'd be women lined up and in their minds, this is just what I deserve because of what I've achieved. My station in life deserves, this is not right for most people, but in my circumstance, this is okay. Or it's the, hey, I work 80 hours a week and I need some downtime and this is what I do in my downtime. I know it's wrong, but this is how I cope with the 80 hours of good that I do. And these people tend to believe that Good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, and I probably do more good deeds than bad deeds, so ultimately I'm okay. Um, they also sense that they do more good than most people, and I really love in this spot to point out people who have called themselves disciples but have any sin at all. Yeah, see? Look at him over there, that guy, see? A bunch of hypocrites over there. This is actually the good spot to be in. Are you with me today? I'll, let me talk to the people online. You, you with me? Okay. Uh, these people are not necessarily influenced by the demonic, but are heavily influenced uh, by generational sin in their life, in their families' life. The group sin, the groups that they've been in that have participated in sin, that stuff has rubbed off and become a part of their life. And that, that really does impact them. They tend to experience, because of that, some bondages and some addictions and feel like there are sin in their life they can't break out of, but this is just who I am. Um, they don't, it's not that they, they're undecided about Jesus, but really they've created a new version of God for themselves that supports what they're living out. And it's always interesting. I had a conversation with a family member who was explaining the God of the Old Testament, the Ezekiel wheel within a wheel, that actually the Bible is the way man has uh, written about spiritual things to reveal aliens, and the wheel within the wheel were alien. And I just listened to that. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Okay. Let me give you the Likers view of sin. Are you ready for that? Okay. So the Likers view of sin it's loosely attached to Judeo-Christian principles because they're near Jesus. 
Bible Belt down south. It's, it's like, it's wrong to lie. Well, because the Bible says so. But the truth is, these are typically people that like Jesus but don't have Christian disciplines like reading his word as his voice from heaven to their lives. And so they, they know just a few things out of scripture and they're not able to really know what the word says. And so therefore, there's a, a, a similarity of values that lines up with scripture, but there will be a lot of things in their life that they think are okay because they've not read the Bible and they've only listened to other people talk about God's word. They engage in sin when it becomes desirable. They know it's sin, but this is what they rely on. They're confident that God is obligated to forgive them when they ask for it, believing that that is called, that's actually repentance. I've actually had, I've had teenagers being a youth pastor for years, and this is, um, I say this just as a point of reference because I, it's been said to me, well, Pastor Steve, what's the big deal? God's gonna forgive me anyways. That would be the words of a liker. They know enough about repentance. They know enough about God's forgiveness to just blanket everything, everything with sin as if it's just some sort of you know, whiteout that goes across the thing you've did and it disappears off the page. It's I really like the things about God but I also really like to do some sinful things and I'm gonna rely on the forgiveness. In fact, he's obligated to forgive me. All I've gotta do is ask, God forgive me. I just, that's all I gotta say. God forgive me and it's good. And it disappears. Sin can be justified by life station and circumstances. They also believe that the good deeds outweigh the bad, that they are good people. They just believe that no one is perfect, but because I believe in God, that is my trump card. I believe in God. Do you believe in God? Then, then we're good. That's all that matters. The devil believes in God. Demons believe in God. Unbelievers believe in God. These never Jesus people looked Jesus in the face. They believed in him. A mental ascent that he is does not, is not your get out of jail free card. It doesn't do anything for your sin. And saying I'm sorry is, is powerless because in our culture, we like to say sorry in a way just to appease the, the hurt of someone else with no real personal understanding or value of what we've done to injure somebody. It becomes our get out of jail free card with our spouse. You have to forgive me. I ask for forgiveness. Yeah, but there's nothing about your posture that says You've turned and gone in a different direction because that is the definition of repentance, to change your mind, to change your direction. What I used to think was okay, uh, it's clear to me now it's not okay. I'm going in the opposite direction. I'm no longer gonna do that. I'm gonna run from that. And if I get tripped up in it again, I'm gonna run from it again. It's not a, it's not a you gotta get over it because I said I'm sorry. In fact, if it's true repentance, you'll, you'll realize that it's probably gonna take some time It's gonna take some time. A truly repentant person wants to work on the relationship or the circumstance to make it right. It's, yeah, I stole your money and gambled it away. I'm really, really sorry. And so I'm gonna go out and get another job to help return what belongs to you. It's, I, I crashed your car. I'm really sorry. And I lied about it. And I'm going to, I, I can't undo it but I recognize I need to invest in the relationship if it's a relationship. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a running away from, it's a running into the relationship. It's a posture. Repentance is, a, is, is so much more than a, I'm sorry. It is not I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry means nothing. It might be a starting point for a conversation, but it means nothing. I had somebody want to have 10 minutes of my time one time, and they intentionally boxed in the time. I'll go into what they did. It's horrific, okay? But they wanted 10 minutes. I just, just need, I need to come over to the house. It's last minute. They're ready to get on an airplane. They're wanting to meet with me. I, I just need to come by and make it right. I said, 10 minutes will not allow for enough of a conversation. But I need to meet with you. I need to get this off my chest. Bingo. That's not repentance. That's not, that's not what we do with our sin. I do feel, I'm, I'm not getting anywhere in my message today. Might be a 17-week thing. But is this helpful? It's when I recognize I have sin, it's not about my feelings. It is about the guilt, the wrongness of what I've done. Who it impacts, how it impacts them, how it impacts me. Because there's a sowing and reaping. It's a recognition of how I feel is the tip of the iceberg from what its impact is gonna be eventually. And if I just get rid of those feelings, I don't necessarily get rid of the act that's been planted like a seed that's gonna grow over time and become something horrific that comes back in your life and my life as well. Mm. Okay, well, I'll just do a couple of, I'm not even on the main points. This is all introduction. I had to call my Bible college and let them know I failed miserably as as a preacher. <laughs> okay. Um, they believe that no one is perfect, but they believe that their belief in God trumps all. I'm going I'm to finish with this, and then next week we'll actually, we were plan, I was planning on, <sighs> forget what I was planning on. We'll finish this up next week, okay? I th- but I, hopefully this has been helpful and helps you to maybe see some residue. For those of you who are disciples, it helps you to see some residue that maybe is prevalent in your life here that shouldn't be here. Or maybe it's gonna, over the next couple of weeks, invite you to step over because this is a vicious cycle that you, the rest of your life, you'll live in. And you might try to, I asked asked our huddle this morning, so after you sin, what do you like to do uh, besides repent? Let's all pretend that immediately we would repent. And one one of the people chimed up and said, oh, I just like to sleep. I was like, you know what? We all have the crack that works for us to numb the pain. Some people sleep, some people spend, some people rage, some people party, some people just throw off restraint, some people sulk and grovel, but none of those accomplish what you're really after, and that's stepping out from underneath your sin into freedom, and I want you to find that peace. So let me, let me, the worship team's going to come and, uh, Stand here for 15 minutes behind me. <laughs> Be the eye candy. It kind of makes me feel like, well, I invited them up, so you know, I was good. Start pushing. All of a sudden, my microphone goes off, and I get pushed off the platform. He, he fell off the platform. We finished <laughs> up with the last song. Just let, stand with me. Let me just point out a couple of um, thoughts out of Samuel. Um, and this is really interesting. If you have read the story of Uh, The first king of Israel, Saul, great man, chosen by God, tall, beautiful, head and shoulders above everyone, um, but had a problem with sin. 
We'll talk about it next week, but sin is, God has a bullseye and to miss the bullseye is what sin is. It could be just a little bit out and we'll talk about that next week. We think of sin as doing something horrific. No, you could pray, but with the wrong attitude and that's sin. You, you can't, you can give with the wrong motives and it's sin. Now I'm not saying it's the type of thing that God wants to purify out of you. It's a process, but elsewhere in the scripture, it teaches us that all of our righteousness is tainted with sin. On our best day, your best act still has a little bit of sin in it because you're still in a human body. And God understands that, but he's in the process of perfecting you. But in Saul's particular case, he was told to go out and fight a battle. And when he beat those people, when God gave him the victory, he was to destroy everything. He was to destroy all the captives, all their possessions, all of the farm animals. They were devoted to destruction. It was a clear command. Forget, forget really that. It's just, just here that God commanded him to do something. And he didn't. And the prophet Samuel shows up to have a conversation with him. And he says, his instant reaction is like the guy praying in the synagogue, I am righteous. So Samuel's walking up. He's like, Samuel, I have done the will of God. Well, he feels good. He's conquered. He's done more right than wrong. He's accomplished some good things. He extinguished evil, but he didn't kill the king. He didn't kill some of the people. He didn't kill the animals. I have done the will of God. And then Samuel says, what is this lowing of cattle and the bleeding of sheep I hear? Uh, well, I destroyed almost everything and I captured the king. And we saved all this stuff to sacrifice to God. You know, we want to make our unrighteousness be like we uh, do such special things. You know, even my bad stuff is for good reasons. And Samuel jumped all over that and basically accused him of witchcraft. Now we think of witchcraft is way over here. Actually, no, it's not witchcraft because these people are just living the life influenced by demons. Witchcraft is when people who should know better and go to God actually go to the enemy for their activity and information. And so he says that rebellion, what is rebellion? Rebellion is to know what God wants you to do and say, no, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And he, he warns that that's as the sin of witchcraft. That's why I say this is, this is a dangerous place because you will justify your doing wrong because, hey, well, I know I shouldn't have done that, but look at all the right, I'm going to forward edge thing this, not to point you out, not that this is your heart, Abby, <laughs> but I'm going, I've been on many, many mission trips, many mission trips. <laughs> I paid my tithes. I, I serve on a team. This little bit that's over here is not an issue. I tell you something, it is an issue. It is an issue. It'll rob you every time. And if you get a proper, clear view, you're gonna see some things are gonna begin to, begin to work out and right themselves. And you're not as bad in your mind as you think you are, but you gotta deal with this issue. And it's the same issue that all of us deal with. It's sin. Amen, it's to miss God's mark. You can take this. I'm gonna pray over you, okay? I wanna invite you today um, to turn the knob up on the voice of the Holy Spirit. Deal with it. I want, some of you have taken your sin that you've been struggling with, maybe for years, and 
you're so irritated that you have this in your life that you put it on the shelf in the back so that you can't see it. But the problem with that is the voice that was telling you and trying to deal with you and trying to help you has now been squelched in your life. And that's why you're not experiencing the presence of God. It's why you don't have hope. It's why when you look in your checkbook, it looks like there's no way beyond this. It's why when you look at relationships, it's just there's there, the hope that the Holy Spirit would whisper to your soul. You can't hear it because you refuse to do with, deal with sin. The Bible says that you have quenched the Holy Spirit. That's what that is, to turn down his voice, to go, nah, I can't hear you. As childish as that is, pull your fingers out of your ears, stop, and say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place because he's gonna turn your ship into the right direction faster than you've dreamed. You are gonna find freedom from addiction. You're gonna find freedom from, from being struggling. You're gonna find a release in your soul because you address this thing. And we'll talk about that more over the next couple of weeks. But start with, Lord, I say yes. I say yes to the voice of your Holy Spirit. And if you've never stepped across this line, come and follow Jesus. Make the decision now. Quit hanging around and liking him. After a while, it's, you know, it's vagrancy. Step across the line. Become a part of the family. Experience the good things that God has for you. Do that as we pray, okay? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. It's honorable. It's precious to us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here, that you hear us, you speak to us, that you open our eyes. There's things that we've been blinded to that you pull the scales off our eyes and, and now suddenly we can see. It makes sense. You supernaturally do that through your spirit. Lord, help us to have clarity on sin, have clarity on our own sin. Help us to see where the enemy has really been speaking, even as a disciple to us across the line, pushing our head down into the carpet to just make us grovel in something that's really not that big. We just need to deal with it properly to see it for what it is. Lord, I thank you that full payment for my sin was made, paid in full. And stepping into that transaction has changed everything in my life. I thank you for it. It's not forgiven. It's not forgotten. It's not covered up. It is paid in full. And I thank you for that. It allows me to walk free. There's no chains free to pursue after you, free to become the person you're calling me to be. In Jesus' name we pray. We say yes to following you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to like and subscribe and visit us at c3swwa.com for more information about our church. 